is a podcast about Jeopardy. Hello and welcome to Potent Potables, your weekly Jeopardy podcast where two former competitors bring you recaps and analysis of the week's Jeopardy episodes, a deep dive into a topic inspired by one of those episodes, and a quiz. I'm Kyle. And I'm Emily. And this is the week of January 2nd through the 6th. Happy New Year. Happy New Year. It's 2023. Yay. Yay. And how are you doing, Kyle? Uh, I am am doing all right. My holidays were very nice. We had good family time. My older daughter had some really amazing insights and like like gift giving like inspirations she was like awesome about it it was really cool so yeah it was good and i'm you know we're back at work and we're back at work so uh yeah Yeah. how are you yeah i'm i'm doing all right uh went away and uh did skiing and those kinds of things for like a week with my uh my family my immediate family and also um my uh my parents and my sisters so that was fun I got some new video games for Christmas. Mm -hmm. Uh, So I've been playing Kirby and the Forgotten Land. Okay. I didn't tell you this in our like pre-recording little check-in so that it would be fresh and you could get a good laugh at my expense while recording. I recently found out that Kirby is not a Pokemon. (laughs) (laughs) I yeah. Good. I'm happy for you. So, okay. So in my defense, I had encountered Kirby prior to this. I, I encountered Kirby for the first time years ago because everybody everybody was play, playing Super Smash Brothers in like mm-hmm. 2001 mm-hmm. or whatever, 2002. Mm-hmm. Like that's maybe that's when I started seeing Kirby, right? And like there weren't that many playable characters, but there was Kirby and there was Pokemon. There was, there was P- Pikachu and there was Jigglypuff. And they all kind of have that like you know kind of cute cartoony look mm-hmm. and i just assumed that kirby was a pokemon and okay yeah i mean i suppose i could see that and i've i've had some exposure i've had a fair amount of exposure to the pokemon franchise but like never enough to be like well i've now i've seen them all and i don't see kirby you know Mm-hmm. Like there's just there's a lot of Pokemon. Anyway, um, I, I keep defending this like it's indefensible. <laughs> I found out Kirby was not a Pokemon. <laughs> um, uh, <laughs> there's no shame in learning something. Yes, I learned. I learned that Kirby is not a Pokemon. Um, my my nephew refers to all video games as Poka, uh, hmm. which is short for Pokemon because nice. his dad likes to play Pokemon video games. And so he walked up and saw me playing Kirby in the Forgotten Land. It was like Poka poka and i was like i got to be like well actually that's a common misconception (laughs) (laughs) that that common is doing a lot of work there it's it's not it's not a common misconception it is a misconception that's true (laughs) kirby was apparently named after a lawyer Mm -hmm. my sister told me Mm -hmm. yeah well kirby in the forgotten land is pretty fun so that's good yeah, I haven't uh, played one recently. I haven't played any Kirby's recently. I sh- is it for the Switch? It is for the Switch. I should probably check it out. I bet yeah. I bet my kid would like a Kirby. Yeah. Well, this is not a Kirby fan cast as much uh, as it should now be. Now it is. Uh, no, we do have some Jeopardy to talk about. Um, as per usual, my DVR ate some ep- episodes. Uh, I'll get it figured out. Um, so a couple of these I am 
working off the J archive and the clips that I saw on social media, which I enjoyed. Mm-hmm. Um, but some of them I did see. So uh, Monday, January 2nd, we have the contestants, Chris Blair, a development operations manager from Newberry Park, California. Denise Carlin, an attorney from Seaside Heights, New Jersey, and Ray Lalonde, a scenic artist from Toronto, Ontario, Canada, whose 12-day cash winnings total $354,300. And the Jeopardy round categories are giving you some metals, the doctor will see you now, let there be frogs, Grand Ole Opry members, three letters starts with A, and history comes alive with Eric Larson. Uh, That's video clues. Mm -hmm. With Eric Larson. With Eric Larson. Who I am not familiar with. Yes. Oh, he wrote uh, Devil in the White City, among other things. that Eric Larson. Got it. Yeah. Yeah. Historic? No, journalism. Journalism is his background, Mm. which I guess he brings to bear on historical topics. Yeah. The $1,000 clue of Let There Be Frogs is uh, Jeopardy being surprisingly prescient. Again, uh, the clue is they hop to it as the sports teams for Texas Christian University. Denise got it. That's the Horned Frogs. And TCU is playing in the college football championship just this week, Mm. Hmm. which they could not have known at that time when they recorded this months ago. Yeah, it was. It was Trey Kelso's alma mater. He was. Oh, yeah. uh, Yeah. He was a Jeopardy alum and, uh, you know, very active in the trivia community Mm -hmm. uh, and uh, and died. Um, this past year, mm-hmm. uh, we had like a little viral moment, uh, at the $600 level of the doctor will see you now. The clue there was him, Austin powers. He's the snake to my mongoose or the mongoose to my snake. Either I way, it's bad. bad. I don't know animals. <laughs> and Denise did like the, the like Dr. Evil, pose the pinky to as the mouth. she responded yeah pinky to the mouth as, as she responded who is dr evil and ken said that he wishes wished he could give her one million dollars uh but she would have to settle for 600 jeopardy social media has been on the ball recently with the little viral clips yeah they've been doing a good job <laughs> never missing an opportunity to bring up john green we had a, a, a clue in the doctor will see you now about dr pepper mm-hmm uh, John Green is a huge Dr. Pepper fan, and there is a lot of very funny Dr. Pepper content on his TikTok. Mm. He's also done a review of Dr. Pepper on the Anthropocene Reviewed, which was interesting. Just like, I like it, it tastes good, like that kind of review? No, no, like, uh, um, like the, the Anthropocene Reviewed like always, like always gets into like little known like historical stuff and then like manages to transition into like reflective and philosophical. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, I, 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 Dr. Pepper is the one soda that is not supposed to taste like anything specific. It's not supposed to taste like a fruit or a nut or a spice mm-hmm. or any combination thereof. It is supposed to taste like the way the soda fountain of the inventor's childhood smelled. Nice. Yeah. Okay. Um, yeah. De- definitely not weird. <laughs> yeah. That's that's uh that's one of the big things I learned about Dr. Pepper. Okay. From uh from that. It's it's an episode worth listening to. It's a good one. Sure. Daily double number one is in giving you some medals at the four hundred dollar level. It's pick number twenty-five. Uh, so it's pretty late in the round, and Denise finds it. She's at fifty-eight hundred ahead of Ray at thirty-four and Chris at twenty-two hundred. Uh, she wagers two thousand. 
gets the clue the second most abundant metal in the Earth's crust. It's number one down in the core. And she gets it correct with what is iron. So at the end of the Jeopardy round, Ray is at 3,800. Denise is out at 8,800. And Chris is at 3,000. And the double Jeopardy categories are from the New Testament to the map, writers' middle names, state governors, the chase, sacrificial roles, and friends till the ends. Pokemon came up in friends till the ends. This type of friend comes after Food Lovers and Pokemon Visual, two books that <laughs> offer guidance <laughs> that the $1,600 level Ray got it companion. Mm-hmm. You, know, mm-hmm. you will not find Kirby in the Pokemon Visual companion. You will also, yeah, that that is correct. Also, I don't, I don't think I've ever seen the Pokemon Visual companion. I, I mean, I'm sure it's just a book with all the Pokemon in it. Yeah. At this point, it, there are too many. There's a lot of Pokemon. In reality, there are 151, and no one can convince me otherwise. Mm-hmm. Is Eevee a real Pokemon, in your opinion? Eevee, of course. Okay, cool. <laughs> you, say, you say, of course. Like, uh, I, I just, I'm, I just don't know enough about that world, and okay. especially like the like, which ones are the originals, and which ones are like the the posers that came out during my children's childhood. Exactly, the the, <laughs> the fake Pokemon, not like the real Pokemon. <laughs> the real Pokemon. <laughs> oh goodness! Although you bring up Eevee, Eevee only has uh, I'm I'm not going to give the number because I'm probably going to be wrong. Only has a certain number, however, of evolutions, uh, and there are a bunch of fake ones that have been added later. Ah, uh, Sylveon. Nope, absolutely no. not. Okay, that's the only one I know. Uh, Jolteon, Vaporeon. Uh, <laughs> Vaporeon, I've heard of. Yes. Uh, uh, what's the fire one? Charizard. Oh, no, yeah, it's Charizard. <laughs> oh, you got it. <laughs> All Pokemon are Charizard. All right, we're, we spent way too much time talking about Pokemon. It's a Pokemon fan cast. I, I mean... <laughs> As you can tell, I'm the consummate Pokemon fan. I can tell. Um, <laughs> Ray did well in the writer's middle names category. Did he, he, did he run it? He ran it. He ran it. He ran it. it. Mm-hmm. He ran it. Yes. Very nice. He was able to produce Staples as the middle name of C.S. Lewis, Clive Staples Lewis. I did a deep dive on C.S. Lewis and in particular the last battle, but we did, (laughs) it was an ambitious deep dive. We did like an overview of C.S. Lewis's life and an overview of the Chronicles of Narnia before diving more deeply into the last battle way back. Yeah. That's uncommon to be ambitious with the deep dives. Yeah. No, we usually, we usually don't do that. Oh wait. Yes, we absolutely do. (laughs) I think they did a nice job with the clue at the $2,000 level of sacrificial roles mm-hmm. in Game of Thrones, he really was a gentle giant, saving Bran by holding the door and fending off a horde of nasties. Uh, that's Hodor. And Hodor. often characters' names are like, you know it or you don't. Mm-hmm. But you could figure that one out. <laughs> yeah, because because there was that kind of big reveal of, like, I can't even remember how it all worked. There was like some time travel-y kind of mystical stuff mm-hmm. about Hodor's name and hold the door, right? So, like, you can, you can it, if you encountered that, even if you're, like, not a big Game of Thrones aficionado, I feel like you could get there. Probably, probably heard Hodor at some point. Yeah. Yeah. 
Daily double number two is in From the New Testament to the Map at the $1,200 level, and Ray finds it at the fifth pick. He wagers 4,000 of his 5,000. He's in second place, but Denise is up at 10,800. So even if he went all in, he couldn't take first place. And he gets the clue. Santo Stefano Church in Genoa, Italy is where, according to tradition, this sailor was baptized in 1451. Ray tries who is St. Nicholas. St. Nicholas was much earlier and I don't know whether he did any sailing. Also probably not in. Not in Italy. Yeah. Yeah. But okay. You know, uh, Columbus is what they were looking for. Yes. Uh, and daily double number three is the last pick in the round, number 30 at the $2,000 level of friends till the ends. Ray finds it. Uh, he is at 17,400, just ahead of Denise's 16,000 and Chris's 8,200. Uh, and he wagers 1,300, so he'll keep the lead if he gets it wrong. Uh, he gets a clue. C is for this word. Once one of the divisions of a Roman legion it now can mean a colleague or a person born in the same year. Uh, Ray guesses what is a cadre, but that is a cohort. Mm-hmm. Cohort. So at the end of the double jeopardy round, Ray is in the narrowest of leads. 16,100. Denise is at 16,000. Chris is at 8,200. Smart wagering mm-hmm. from Ray. The final Jeopardy category is historic crimes. And the clue is saying it was stolen by Napoleon. Self-styled Italian patriot Vincenzo Perugia took it in 1911. Chris tried what is the Shroud of Turin. Uh, That's not correct, but he wagered zero. So that is just fine. Mm -hmm. Um, Denise uh, responded, what is the Mona Lisa? And that is correct. And she's wagered 16000 That is too big for this situation. Mm-hmm. Uh, but she got it right, so she goes up, not down. And Ray also wagered 16000 and also responded, what is the Mona Lisa? So he also goes up uh, to $100 above Denise, lands at 32100 and uh, gets his 13th win. Yes, indeed. Uh, that brings us to Tuesday. When we have the contestants Lloyd C., a graduate student in literature, originally from Rockford, Illinois. Claire Thierry, a high school registrar from Essex, Vermont. And Ray Lalonde, a scenic artist from Toronto, Ontario, Canada, whose 13-day cash winnings total $386,400. We've been off a couple weeks, but you know, with the last couple seasons, we can just take a couple weeks off and you don't really miss anything well, I mean, you do, but it's still the same returning champion. So it's really convenient and uh, courteous of them to just stick around until we come back for more recording. Mm-hmm. Yeah. We got the Jeopardy round categories, fictions, fictional places, American art and artists, orgs for short, romantic movie lines. Here's looking at you, letter U in quotation marks, and kid cuisine. Mm-hmm. I was going to talk uh, speak to the... Um, the $400 clue in that kid cuisine category. If your kids aren't from New England, they may enjoy this two-word dish made with a veggie more than its clam or fish cousin. They were looking for corn chowder. 
is I mean maybe maybe I'm just unaware of this. Is that a common thing that kids eat? I don't I wouldn't regard regard it as common. Like I I did make corn chowder last week and my kids ate it. Sh- sure, but but, but like, like when you compare it to PB and J from the two hundred dollar or Egos from the six hundred, mm-hmm. like you compare it to those two, those are pretty common. Like yeah, if I put those in front of my kid, they're gonna eat it. Yep. I, if I were to put corn chowder out, I'd be like, "Ooh, this is a risk." Yeah. 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 <laughs> <laughs> yeah. No, I would not. I would not consider that a common kid food. Like my my kids happened to eat it, but mm-hmm. like, you know, sometimes my kids eat stir fry. Right. <laughs> sometimes so, they eat. Sometimes they don't. Sometimes they eat a ribeye, right? Like that's not. Yeah. Sometimes. Not a whole yeah. Like, it, well, <laughs> uh, I mean, sometimes. Yeah. Sometimes yeah. my kids like prime rib or sometimes they think it's the worst thing that you could have ever done was to put it on their plate. And how dare you? And you should go away forever. Yeah. So like, I'm a fan of corn chowder, but yeah, no, I don't, I don't, I don't think it belongs here in Cane Cuisine. And like, there's so many things that we could ask about here. Yeah. We could ask about, we could ask about dino nuggets. Dino nuggets. Dino nuggets. Greatest. Truly a cuisine for everyone. Truly. (laughs) I don't know how they got the dino meat. I don't care. <laughs> dino nuggets are great. We could we could have a question about hot dogs. Mac and cheese. Fluffer nutters. Okay. Um, now I, that is regional, I will say. Is it? Oh no. I I mean, I don't know if we've ever tried to have our kids have fluffer nutters, but like they would love them. Everyone oh, oh loves I know. I mean, I love them too, but I had not encountered them until my wife's Bostonian family introduced them to me. Okay, all right, fair. Yeah, no, I, yeah, they must. They must be. I'm like, no, no. Everybody eats those. In, in my, my, that's my whole childhood experience <laughs> in the one place where I grew up. <laughs> yeah. All right, so not fluffer nutters then. Fine. <laughs> I mean, I mean, kids would eat them. It's fair. Yeah. I think it's more fair than corn chowder. Yeah. But whatever. I don't know. Maybe the Jeopardy writers' kids love corn chowder. Maybe that's their whole experience. It's like, man, my kids cannot get enough of corn chowder. Mm-hmm. Them and their yep. friends are always asking for corn chowder. Grilled we, cheese and tomato soup. That's a kid food, right? Yeah. I think. My Ish. kids. I mean, my, who doesn't like a grilled cheese and tomato soup? Well, but. I mean, the grilled cheese. My my kids have. They have loved soup when it's not put in front of them. Yeah. When it's put in front of me and particularly their mom, then they're like, ooh, what's that? Can I have some Mm -hmm. of that? Can I Mm -hmm. eat all of that? But if we put a bowl in front of them, they're like, what (laughs) do you think you're doing? Yeah. (laughs) Um, There's so much they could have done with it other than corn chowder. Yeah, corn chowder. Um, now that yeah. we've talked about that for way too long. Uh, oh, we had a funny kind of turnaround in fiction's fictional places. Uh, the $800 level was the second pick. This shipwrecked character ends up on the Island of Despair in 1659. Lloyd tried who is Gulliver, but then Claire got the rebound with Robinson Crusoe. And then, yeah, later on in the round at the $400 level in the illustration scene here, the title character is tied up on business in this land and then ray tries who is gulliver but lloyd gets the rebound with lilliput this time ray had ray was in the right book but they were asking for the land not the character daily double number one is at the 800 hundred dollar level of that kid cuisine category it's the 22nd pick 
and Lloyd finds it. He wagers just five dollars. Um, he was never a kid. Like uh, like Miss Trunchbull. <laughs> Have you watched the musical? I, I haven't. Did you... I'm real. Oh, okay. I really need to see it. I know that's just that's just a reference that I always have at the tip okay. of my tongue. <laughs> nice. Um, I read that book so many times growing up. Very nice. Uh, Lloyd's tied for the lead with Ray at this point. Uh, they're both at thirty six hundred. He wagers five because he was never a kid. <laughs> so he gets the clue. History professor Paul Josephson's definitive article on these breaded items is titled "The Ocean's Hot Dog." <laughs> gross <laughs> yeah and he responds what is it? you see why i bet five dollars mm-hmm. <laughs> and everybody laughs and uh the correct response here is fish sticks of course yep so at the end of the jeopardy round uh ray's in lead with five thousand uh claire is at 3200 lloyd is at 4595 and the double jeopardy categories are the good old us of a science news pop music Paris, L'Histoire de France, Fun with 21, and Same First and Last Letter. They were just trying to torment you there with a Paris followed it's, immediately by a French language yeah, yeah, category they, title. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, exactly. It's all very personal, and it's all about mm-hmm. me. Yes. As all things are. Mm-hmm. There was a clue in L'Histoire de France about the Maginot line, oh, yeah. which... I learned a lot about from your deep dive. I also learned a lot about that for my deep dive. Yeah. I was plugging the Anthropocene reviewed uh, mm. mere moments ago. Um, John Green also reviewed the Lasco cave paintings on the Anthropocene reviewed. And that was also an interesting and informative one um, mm. that came up at the $2,000 level of L'Histoire de France. Mm-hmm. An important trivia fact only happened a few years ago in the science news at the $1,600 level. In 2019, the IAU announced the discovery of 20 new moons of this planet, putting it three ahead of Jupiter's total. That's Saturn. So Saturn Mm -hmm. now has the most, which for a long time was not the fact that you would memorize. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah. I can't believe we have to update our knowledge, you know? Mm -hmm. Can't I just learn a thing? Come on, science. What is the current status of Pluto? Is it a dwarf planet? Yeah. Okay, cool. At least, unless that has changed since 2006, but I don't think it has. One of my many pet peeves is when people talk about Pluto's status being reassessed as if Pluto used to be a planet and now it is not. <laughs> it's like it is literally the same thing it was. It is the same thing. It's very far away. <laughs> it does not care. Yep. Uh, Whatever it is, it's what it's always been. And barring changes always will be. Yep. Yep, indeed. Our ability to assess that is developing. Mm -hmm. But like whatever, like if it's not a planet, then it never was a planet. Right. It was falsely considered a planet, right? Like, and I, I understand that that's like a very picky and thing to get, to get, uh, persnickety about, but I don't know. It just it just bugs me. Well, it 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 doesn't have the it, it ignores the like scientific attitude, right? Y- yeah, it, I think that's that's the thing. Yeah, as the 
you know, oh, scientists are just being arbitrary and jerking us around, right? Like, like yes. the, thing, the thing about science is that it's supposed to be about the pursuit of truth. Right. And, and, if, like, we, and if we discover more, then we should update our knowledge rather mm-hmm. than, like, I don't know, argue with the people who have discovered it anyway. Yeah. It's a really cool thing about science. I like that a lot about it. I guess that's why it bugs me. Right. Yeah. It's, uh, it's the, uh, yes, the idea that we have learned everything we need to learn at exactly mm-hmm. this moment in history. Yes. Anyway, mm-hmm. uh, Daily Double number two is in the L'Histoire de France category <laughs> at the $1,600 level. Uh, pick number four, Lloyd finds it. Uh, he wagers thirty ninety five. So if he gets it wrong, he'll fall to a nice round number. If he gets it right, he'll go to a 90. I guess the fives will cancel out in either case. Yeah, it'll end with a zero. Um, gets the clue. After World War One, Germany lost this hyphenated border region to France. Got it back in World War Two, then lost it to France again. And he gets that correct. That is Alsace-Lorraine, mm-hmm. which is like one of the most fought over pieces of land in the world. Mm-hmm. And Daily Double number three is in same first and last letter at the $2,000 level, and Ray finds it at the 14th pick. He wagers 3000 of his 11400 He's in um, about a about $1,000 lead at this point. And he gets the clue, a type of tax, or to remove material, such as from a book or film. And he can't come up with it. It's excise. Mm-hmm. Yeah, which always made the tax sound really intense to me. I would, mm, yeah. I would not want an excise tax. That feels feels bad. Anyway, uh, so that brings us to Final Jeopardy. Ray is at 12,000. Claire is at 11,200. And Lloyd is at 12,490. Such close scores. Mm-hmm. And we get the Final Jeopardy category, foreign-born authors. And the clue, early in her career, she translated romance novels into Spanish, often changing the dialogue to make the heroines smarter. Uh, and everyone got it correct uh, with who is Isabel Allende. That is an impressive pull for all three of them to get. I mean, I thought so. I like Isabel Allende a lot, but like she's not, she's not as well known as I would like her to be. So I'm glad they all knew her. She's not one of the first names that comes to mind typically. Mm -hmm. Although I guess the category foreign born authors, like, cause my first thought was like, <laughs> I don't know, Jane Austen, like, you know, someone, yeah. someone who like historically has like notable, strong female characters. Right. Yeah. And so I was like, I don't know, y- you know, something like that, but she wouldn't have been foreign born. Like she was born in the country mm-hmm. she lived in and stayed there. Right. That's not foreign. Born. Yeah. So anyway, they all got it correct. Uh, Claire bet 11,200, which I think is a bit much, but she got it correct. Mm-hmm. So she doubled up. Ray bet 12,000, which I also think is a bit much, but he also doubled up and Lloyd wagered 12,000 as well. Uh, so they all bet big and it worked for all of them. But Lloyd is the winner. Ending mm-hmm. Ray's streak. Yes. So on Wednesday, January 4th, our contestants are Sarah Palmer, an executive assistant from Monterey, California. Francis Englert, a line cook from Scotch Plains, New Jersey, and Lloyd C., a graduate student in literature originally from Rockford, Illinois, whose one-day cash winnings total 24490 And the Jeopardy round categories are On Your State's Left, By and Large, uh, that's by, like, purchase, surnames, the actors in that movie, Start Off with Off in quotation marks, and Right Foot, but right, like, like the verb to write. Where we heard about Dr. Seuss's foot, foot, 
foot book. Mm-hmm. Um, My kids like the foot book. Yeah, it's a good one. Uh, it is good because it's short. Yeah. <laughs> God, <laughs> when they're like, can we read The Cat in the Hat for bedtime? I'm like, come on. Uh, can we Can we do the foot book? They're like, no, green eggs and ham. I'm like, oh, there's so many words. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, the sleep book is a favorite of mine, but it's so long. It takes forever to read that thing. Yeah. You did do a deep dive on Dr. Seuss. I it, did. It was a good one. I have recalled it numerous times. Yeah, that was a fun one for me. They all knew what was on the left of all the states. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I mean, hopeful, realistically, hopefully every Jeopardy contestant knows the map of the U.S., right? Yeah, I, I would hope so. I, I struggle a little bit with like the, that visual memory component. Like, I have a hard time picturing maps in my head. Mm. Um but I also knew all five, so, you know. Well done. Thank you. Uh, there was a fun clue in the buy and large category at the $800 level. In 2022, this software giant said it was making a macro payment of $68.7 billion to purchase Activision Blizzard. That's Microsoft, the macro micro there. Macro payment, yes. Yeah, which if you've been following that, a lot of like, technically it's Microsoft buying it, but like a lot of the coverage was like Xbox is looking to buy Activision Blizzard uh, huh. because that's a video game company. Um, that whole thing, I'm not going to get into it. It's just a, a sad story of capitalism with the Activision Blizzard merger and then everything that's gone on there. It's a bummer because I love Blizzard games, or at least I used to. Hmm. Those I are like them. those are StarCraft and Warcraft, and now. Overwatch is the one that's best known, probably. I know all of those names. I do. I do know all of those names. I just don't mm. know much of anything about about the games. Uh, Daily double number one is in the surnames category at the thousand dollar level. Pick number ten. Uh, Sarah finds it. She's at twenty four hundred. Lloyd's at twenty four hundred. Francis at twenty two hundred. So she makes the right move and bets it all and gets the clue. This seven letter German surname is the equivalent of blacksmith or metalworker. And she goes for black and guesses what is Schwartz, um, but that's Schmidt, as in Smith. Mm-hmm. So she drops to zero. Uh, but at the end of the Jeopardy round, Lloyd is at 6,200. Francis is also at 6,200. And Sarah is at 2,200. And we have the double Jeopardy categories, transportation, the national pastime, TV theme songs, the silent type, just a little nuclear physics, and oh my gods. Mm-hmm. Uh, the $2,000 clue of oh my gods. The clue is in the Bible, Elijah led the struggle against worship of this Phoenician god that Ahab followed. Lloyd guessed who is Moloch. I don't I don't know that one. That is probably a deeper pull than I am aware of. That is that is a deep pull. Yes. Um, Moloch was a Canaanite deity associated with child sacrifice i had to i had to google that to refresh my memory but i had i had child sacrifice in mind but i didn't want to just like say that if i didn't if i wasn't like confident yeah you didn't want to malign the name of moloch if it wasn't yeah i get it uh that's so ken pronounced it bail and i've heard it pronounced either bail or ball is ball the same thing or is that a different god ball is the same thing and like Probably you should like repronounce the A like Baal um, okay. because it's like 
properly, it's like, or you know, I I think that a more accurate rendering is like with the apostrophe between the two A's mm-hmm. um, okay. to make like, and it's like two syllables. Yeah, I do hear it pronounced bail, um, especially Southerners mm. seem to pronounce it bail. I just I was curious about that because I thought ball and he said bail and I'm like, I I can't I don't remember if that is two different things or if it's just two pronunciations of the same thing. Yeah. Oh, Wikipedia lists the, the pronunciation as bail or ball, but in okay. but in both cases, emphasis on the first syllable, but there are two syllables in okay. either pronunciation that are listed there. Yeah, but that 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 a would definitely definitely be an ah sound in the original language. Sure. Oh, daily double number one was the very first pick of the round Yay. in the oh my gods category at the twelve hundred dollar level, and Sarah was the one to find it uh, with the scores where Kyle said a moment ago she wagered two thousand and got the clue. This group of early Greek gods includes Hyperion and Phoebe, and she got it correct. It's the Titans. Mm-hmm. And daily double number three is in the national pastime category. It's at the $1,200 level as well. Uh, Lloyd finds this one. He's in the lead at 10,200. Francis at 6,200. Sarah's at 5,800. Uh, and he wagers 4,000. Gets a clue. After World War One, Iraq was controlled by Great Britain as a mandate of this international organization. And he gets it correct with what is the League of Nations? Mm-hmm. So at the end of the double jeopardy round, Lloyd has the lead with 20,200. Francis is at 14,200 and Sarah is at 8,200. The final jeopardy category is continental geography. And the clue is until a 1903 secession, this country's contiguous territory spanned two continents. Sarah tried what is Turkey. Uh, She wagered 2,201. Turkey is not correct, so that drops her down just a just a dollar under six thousand. Francis tried what is Russia. He wagered six thousand, dropping him down to eight thousand two hundred because uh, Russia is not it either. And Lloyd got it right with what is Colombia. So nineteen oh three. Panama seceded, uh, as Ken says, with a little help from its neighbors to the north. Mm-hmm. Um, a little. Uh, yeah. Oh, he wagered, Lloyd wagered 8,888, bringing him up to 29,088 and giving him the win. I feel like I would have been thrown off by continental geography as, yeah. the, as a category because I think that I would have assumed continental was a highfalutin way of saying European. Yeah, I could see that. Yeah. Uh, and I think that that might have gotten me stuck. I did not especially try to come up with the response here. I was kind of, I was kind of half watching final jeopardy this, this particular day. Um, so I don't know if I would have talked myself out of the European continent, but mm-hmm. when I saw continental geography, I, I assumed that it was, I guess like do British people use continental as shorthand for like continental Europe? I guess. I, th- yeah. I think maybe. I don't Like a continental yeah. breakfast. Sure. That's um. my only that's my only touch <laughs> touchstone for that. Yeah. 
That brings us to Thursday when we have the contestants Lois Casaleggi, an associate dean from Chicago, Illinois, Patrick Curran, a consultant from Washington, D.C., and Lloyd C., a graduate student in literature originally from Rockford, Illinois, whose two-day cash winnings is now $53,578. We have the Jeopardy round categories So That Happened, Bring It, Colleges Named After People, Not Chicken Feed, Nationality Rhymes, and Choose Your Fighter. We had a tough miss in the choose your fighter at a thousand dollar level. Uh, the clue is trainer Yancey Durham took this man from a police athletic league gym to the heavyweight title and gave him his smoking nickname. Uh, Lois rang in and guessed who is Joe Lewis. L- Lloyd guessed who is George Foreman, but that's Joe Frazier, not Joe Lewis. Mm-hmm. Lots of Joes in boxing. Yeah. I liked the nationality rhymes, although I did think that there was uh, even a potential at the eight hundred dollar level. I, w- I wonder if the 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 writers were trying to get uh, like a three word answer. A nimble Bangkok fellow. They've got a, a, a Thai guy. guy. That's what I thought. I You're was like, You're totally Ooh. right. We could we could we could add to it, right? Hmm. Although we and we did have uh, kind of a tough miss for Lloyd at the two hundred. The clue is ground fortification for those fighting in Calais. Lloyd said, what are French trenches? But trenches doesn't rhyme with French. Right. So Patrick picked up French trench. Mm-hmm. A scream in Thessaloniki. A Greek shriek. In the bring it category at the $800 level, for our potluck, please bring the chicken dish named for this capital, famed for emitting a stream of butter when you cut into it. Uh, Patrick got that one, chicken Kiev. Uh, he pronounced it the more Ukrainian way. I think Ken confirmed with the more familiar, but also more Russian pronunciation. Um, do people bring chicken Kiev to potluck? potluck? That's an awful lot of work unless you bought it frozen. Yeah. (laughs) I'm not sure I've ever seen chicken Kiev at a potluck. Nor have I. No matter how you pronounce Kiev. Yeah, really. I'm still not sure I've got the hang of pronouncing it the Ukrainian way, although, although I've tried. No, I don't, I don't either. But, um, the comma in there was really important, though, because it, uh, you know, if, if if you read the clue without the comma, named for this capital famed for emitting a stream of butter when you cut into it. <laughs> <laughs> yes, it's an important comma. <laughs> Daily Double number one is in colleges named after people at the $600 level. And Patrick finds it. He has 6200 uh, he's in the lead and he wagers 4,000 and gets the clue. This DC university is named for the educator who opened a school for deaf students in 1817. And I thought his pronunciation was not what I expected. Um, Gallaudet is what I seem to remember this being pronounced as, but I think he said something more like Gallaudet. He, he did put a bit of a yeah in there. Yeah. I do recall that. He is from DC, so he would probably know better than me. Yeah, and it was accepted. Um, I think it's like I think that's the way it is pronounced. Yeah. So at the end of the Jeopardy round, Patrick is in the lead with eleven thousand six hundred. Lloyd is at fifty four hundred. Lois is at zero. And the double Jeopardy categories are Modern Egypt, The Life of Riley, The Doomsday Book, Many Rivers to Cross, TV Who Played Them, and Clichés. Doomsday Book was about like apocalyptic. Uh, or like, uh, oh gosh, uh, what is the word I'm looking for? 
is there a word I'm looking for other than dystopian? Well, they sort some of, of them are dystopian. Yeah. yeah, post-apocalyptic. There we go. Not not about like the not about like the doomsday book, which is like what is it like more of a land survey? Yeah, or something. It's like right? a, yeah, like, it's just like a it's just like info. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Such a great name. <laughs> Such a boring book. Um, but this one was it was about like World War Z and those kinds of you know post-apocalyptic mm-hmm. things. I guess they were all dystopias. Yeah, S- sort of. Yeah. The one at the $800 level I read maybe this past year, maybe the year before. It was a really good one. Uh, The clue there was in station this of all of them there that night, the bartender was the one who survived the longest. He died three weeks later. Lois got it station 11, which opens with a catastrophic flu pandemic, you know, kind of comparable to what's the Stephen King novel? The The Stand. Stand. Right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, that wipes out like the vast majority of humanity, but then picks up like, I don't know, 10 years or 15 years or something later mm. with a with a traveling Shakespeare troupe. Hmm. And so like it has very bleak moments, but like it's also, you know, about like <laughs> the human drive to tell stories and make art. Mm. Um I mean, it's a, it's a rough book and especially like in a pandemic, like starting with like, you know, first somebody came into the ER department and three days later, all of humanity was dead. It's right. like a little, it's a little tough, um, but sure. it was, but it was a very good book. Yeah. I'll put it on my list. Yeah. The list just keeps growing. Yes. I enjoyed this clue in cliches, but the contestants weren't able to, uh, puzzle it out uh, at the $1,600 level. Lake Superior State University's 2022 overused banished words include this phrase that follows an embarrassing query really about oneself. Uh, Nobody ventured to guess asking for a friend Mm -hmm. was what they were looking for. Thought that was a fun one to bring in. Yeah. All right. Daily Double number two is in the many rivers to cross category at the $2,000 level. Lloyd finds it. Pick number six. Uh, He's at 7,800. Patrick got himself out to that big lead. He's at 14,000. Lois is at negative 1,600. He wagers 3,000. Gets a clue. The the former Flumicino River is officially identified as this fateful ancient crossing site, but some argue for the Piscatello or Uso. And he just guesses what is the Tiber, but that is the Rubicon. So there's a modern Rubicon river right mm. i don't know. um i think and i guess i did i did not realize that there was uncertainty about Where what that is precisely was crossed hmm. i just saw ancient crossing site and i was like well crossing the rubicon is a thing yeah so yeah so i, I also I figured it out i just didn't i didn't realize that there was any argument to be had so hmm. i guess now i know And Daily Double number three is in the life of Riley at the $1,600 level, and Patrick finds it. Uh, He wagers 4,000 of his 16,800. He's in a huge lead at this point. And he gets the clue. Congressman Riley Wilson wanted to be governor of Louisiana in 1928, but lost out to this larger-than-life man. And he gets it correct with who is Long, Huey Long. Uh, And... 
There at the end, Lois makes a bit of a move, but isn't quite able to get her out herself out of the red. She is at negative 800 going into final. Lloyd is at 8,800, and Patrick has an easy lock at 24,800. And they get the final Jeopardy category of the movies and the clue. Lawrence Olivier and Ernest Borgnine were considered for the lead role and Sergio Leone to direct for this film that turned 50 in 2022. So you got to think of a big movie from 1972. And they both did uh, with What is the Godfather? Mm-hmm. Lloyd wagered 5000 because it doesn't matter. And Patrick wagered 5200 to get to a nice even 30000 It is sort of mind-boggling to imagine either Lawrence Olivier or Ernest Borgnine yeah. in that role. Yeah. Ken said, I mean, when he was talking, he said the studio wanted anyone but Marlon Brando. But Brando eventually beat out Olivier and Ernest Borgnine. Thank goodness. Thank goodness. (laughs) Ken would have been appalled. It would have been a very different film. Yes. For sure. Yeah. And on Friday, we have the contestants Ruben D'Souza, a surgical consultant from Mississauga, Ontario, Canada. Caitlin Monesmith, a PhD candidate from Chicago, Illinois. And Patrick Curran a consultant from Washington, D.C., whose one-day cash winnings total 30000 And the Jeopardy round categories are The President Immediately Before, A Trip to the Islands, The Whole Tooth, We're on the Case, Colorful People, and Letter Perfect. Why do you think Faulkner added the U to his name? I do not know. I also do not know. Is it because Faulkner liked to add things that were unnecessary? Is that it? Do do we have an anti-Faulkner thing on this podcast? Also, I haven't no. I haven't actually read any Faulkner. So I haven't I haven't really. Um, no, I mean I just the what I have read. I'm not like a big fan of, but hmm, yeah. First Google hit suggests it was about differentiating or distancing himself in some way from his father. Huh. Never have pegged him for someone with difficult family relationships. (laughs) No, not at all. (laughs) They didn't know the symbol for tungsten, which is W for reasons that I have known. Well, Caitlin didn't know it. Yeah. Ruben got it. Oh, oh, yes. I'm sorry. I misread that. Yes, Ruben got it. Nice job, Ruben. Because it's named after Wolfgang Amadeus Mozart. Yes, that's it. Um, no. Because no. <laughs> it turns you into a wolf. Mm-hmm. Wolfram. Why is it? I can't remember why it's called Wolfram. I remember there was a, like, I remember Wolfram. I also remember Wolfram, but I don't remember a why. Yeah. President immediately before was surprisingly difficult. Mm, yeah. Not only for the contestants, but also, I don't know, it was like... Had a bit of, bit of difficulty with it. Yeah, it's somehow it's easier to go forward. It really is. Yeah, the one right after it's like because you because that's how we think of the list, right? But then I have to mm-hmm. go there and yeah, come on back. The one that got me was uh, the last one, Warren Harding, and I don't know why I do this, but I always get Warren Harding and William McKinley mixed up. I truly don't know why, hmm. but I was like Warren Harding. Oh, he was right after Cleveland. Well, you're about 20 years off there. Um, Hold on a second. 
I, I have a theory, but I need to look at pictures of them before I say my theory. Okay. You got them mixed up because they are the two presidents who mo- look most, who most look like Sam the Eagle. Ah, that must be. <laughs> That's the reason. <laughs> there you go. Mm-hmm. They did both die in office. Mm-hmm. So that could be part of it. I don't know. I, I, I truly don't know the reason, but I just, I get them mixed up all the time. Maybe you can tell me why I get Warren Harding mixed up with Taft. That I have no idea. Yeah. Warren G. Harding, William H. Taft. I don't know. Yeah, could be. Could be. Yeah, it could be. It could be the W's. The dubs. Yeah. I don't know. Uh, Daily Double number one is in the trip to the islands category at the $600 level. It's pick number two. Patrick finds it. He's in the red at negative 800. Uh, actually, all three of them kind of started the game in the red. Hmm. He wagers a thousand and gets the clue. This twenty-two hundred square mile Canadian island was named for a son of George the Third, and the big clue there was what do you call the son of a king? Uh, Patrick guessed what is Baffin, but that's Prince Edward Island. Mm-hmm. So at the end of the Jeopardy round, Patrick is in the lead at forty or at four thousand. Caitlin's at twenty-four hundred, and Reuben is at twelve hundred. We get the double jeopardy categories, Native American self-names, legally speaking, record of the year Grammys, add a syllable, workers of the world, and you, night, <laughs> K-N-I-G-H-T. The uh, $2,000 clue of the record of the year Grammys is a major, major recommendation from me if mm. you haven't heard it. For 2021, leave the door open by this duo. Anderson Pack and Bruno Mars. That's Silk Sonic. That is an excellent, excellent album. Nice. I have not heard it. It's very good. Very, mm. uh, like looking back to the the influences, but also very fresh. It's it is it's very good. It's definitely worth nice. listening to. I'll check it out. Did you know there's a new Shrek movie coming out? Another in, one in in pro and is in process. Yeah, Shrek Five. They're working on a, a fifth Shrek movie. I did not. Um, is Michael Myers? Mike Myers? Yes. Mike Myers. Yes, Michael Myers yes. is the killer from the <laughs> Is Mike Myers still doing the voice? I, I mean, I guess I he believe, hasn't done anything else yes, in a while. Yes, he had. Yes. Like, last, I, last I heard he is. And Cameron Diaz as Fiona. And oh, she's coming back. I think so. I think that's what I, I think that's what I saw on the, I mean, you know, this isn't, <laughs> this isn't don't have any reliable yeah. source, but the Jeopardy fan podcast, not mm. a, uh, not a Hollywood not a, news <laughs> and rumors podcast, a Shrek, but a Shrek pet cast. Yeah. And, and Eddie Murphy as donkey, yeah. I think also is wow, coming back. They got yeah. Them all back. Yeah. I think they got, think they got them all. I'm pretty sure I have not seen more Shrek movies than I have seen. You have not seen more Shrek movies. There are Shrek movies you haven't seen. Yes, that- I have seen. I have seen fewer of them than I haven't seen. Like I've seen two. Oh, of them. oh, and I aren't see. There, okay. Aren't there a there, bunch? There are the Puss there in are, Boots movies and yeah, the Puss in Boots movies. I don't think that Shrek. I, I just saw Puss in Boots the Last Wish or whatever that one was called. I saw it yesterday. Um, mm. It was fine. It was good. It was fun. I don't know if Shrek, like like the there's like the Puss in Boots spinoff, I think is kind of its own separate thing, and like you don't really see the Shrek characters in there much. But you know, Shrek-a-verse. I guess same universe. Um, a Shrekiverse. Yeah, 
Yes, I I have seen all of the Shrek ones, all all the cinematic releases, and also for some <laughs> reason I saw Shrek the Halls. Um, Very fun. The sure. the horrendous half hour Christmas special. Uh, you say horrendous. Do, are you here I to defend Shrek the Halls? No, I have. I've never seen it. <laughs> Good. Don't don't waste your time. Anyway, all of this is to say there was a clue about Shrek at the four hundred dollar level of the Unite character, uh, referencing its its uh, source material. Uh, a William Steig 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 tale. Steigig. <laughs> Sometimes I commit to a pronunciation and sometimes I really commit to not knowing a pronunciation and hope that it's funny. Mm -hmm. Um, I never do that. mm -hmm. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, you didn't seem like the type, especially not with French. Nope. Mm -hmm. (laughs) All right. Daily Double number two is in the $1,200 level of that Unite category. And Patrick finds it at pick number two. So early. He has 5,600. Uh, he's way, way in the lead and makes it a true daily double. He gets the clue. Part of a larger work, The Knight's Tale by this author begins, Willem, as old stories tell in us. Hopefully I pronounced my middle English correctly, but who knows? And he gets it correct. It's Chaucer. Mm-hmm. My wife and her siblings love A Knight's Tale with Heath Ledger. Heath Ledger. They have a bootleg copy of it that they got in like Cambodia and <laughs> it is starring according to the cover Health Ledger. <laughs> That's great. It is pretty great. <laughs> anyway, that's how I know A Knight's Tale is starring Hell Fletcher. <laughs> right, uh, and Daily Devil number three was in the Native American self-names category and brings us way back to a guest spot and deep dive from a number of years ago. Patrick finds it at pick number 20. He's already in the lead. He found all three Daily Doubles. Uh, he's at 14,800. Caitlin's at 6,000. Ruben's at 6,400. And uh, he bets 3,000. The clue is this large Southwestern people call themselves Diné and named mystery writer Tony Hillerman, special friend to the Diné. And it looks like he's guessing, but he gets it right with who are the Navajo. Uh, which mm-hmm. reminds me of that deep dive that Anaki Garcia did way back yes. when. Yes. I, I seem to recall that particular fact that they were called the Diné. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think I, I think I remember the same thing. So at the end of the double Jeopardy round, Patrick has a lock with 20,200. Caitlin and Ruben are tied at 7,200. The final Jeopardy category is historic people. And the clue is, after a 1789 event, he wrote, My first determination was to seek a supply of water at Tofoa and afterwards to sail for Tonga Tabu. Uh, Caitlin tried who is Cook. Is that a little early for Cook? I can't remember now. I did a deep dive on Cook. You sure did. It's around the right time. So, yeah. I mean, do you think, yes. I I wonder if she was going off of the place names. Yeah. What came to mind for me was Krakatoa. Yeah. Um, And I couldn't remember exactly what year that was, um, which I think would lead to that particular question. Yeah. Oh, that was totally the right. Well, he he died. I I was uh, yeah. You, you did a deep dive, so so you should know. For some for some reason in my head, he's a he's a little later than he actually is. But yeah, he he died seventeen seventy nine, so ten years before mm. this clue. But knowing everybody's date of death down to the year, 
It's too much. Yeah. Uh, too much specificity. So I don't know. I thought it was a good guess. Uh, she wagered 3,600, half of what she has. Um, if you're tied, usually it's an all or nothing kind of proposition. Yeah. That's your best bet. Ruben uh, wrote down who is cook, then crossed it out and changed it to Bly. Picking up on after a 1789 event, which is the mutiny on the bounty. Mm -hmm. Um, So that's, that's kind of the way in there. He knows that it, that, you know, if, if you've got to tie an all or nothing wager is the way to go. Uh, So he goes with all and doubles up to 14,400. But Patrick had a lot game. He also tried who is cook and wagered 4,800, which drops him down to 15,400. Gives him a little bit of a buffer over uh, Caitlin and Ruben if they were to double up and get it right, which Ruben did, um, and gives him his second win. So this is the point in the middle of the episode where we take a break to remind you that we have a Patreon. It's patreon.com slash potentpotables. If you have a couple bucks a month to help us with all of the uh, technical and internet costs of making the podcast <laughs> it, it's very it's very technical um mm-hmm. we we would greatly appreciate it and we appreciate those of you who do so um we have a little bit of exclusive content on the website um on the on the patreon for supporters not a whole lot but we put the quiz questions up there and uh, sometimes we get a fun idea and, and throw it on there uh, and there's and there's some old you know, back when we were young and energetic. We we did some whole bonus episodes. Yeah, um, it was incredible back when we were. Now we're haggard. Yeah. <laughs> um, anyway, <laughs> that's a great plug for our Patreon. <laughs> Everyone will be so excited to support. It'll bring us. you back to an innocent time <laughs> before we were all so worn down. And of course, we don't like to ask for money without acknowledging that there are probably other things in the world that are more important than our podcast. Just a few other things in the world that are more important um, Mm -hmm. than what we're doing here. Uh, And you can find some of those in the show notes. That is right. Kyle, do you have deep dive guesses? I have a couple. Okay. Are you talking about the Rubicon? Oh, no, I'm not. I thought about it, though. Oh, dang it. I was really confident with that one. I didn't want to talk about anything really serious. It was kind of a clue. Well, gosh, I don't... None of my guesses are particularly (laughs) They're all serious. You you always do very serious deep dives about important topics. (laughs) I do snack cakes. (laughs) What are you talking about? I do... I don't know. I've done things. Well, that... Oh, jeez. Are you talking about fish sticks? I'm not, but I did look at the Wikipedia page for fish sticks. I decided there wasn't enough there. (laughs) Shocking. Not a a lot of content there. Um, (laughs) Maybe if I really worked for it, I could do a deep dive on fish sticks. But like the amount of original research I would need to bring was more than I could come up with this weekend. Well, now I'm trying to, now I'm trying to scramble. Uh, I don't know. My last guess was going to be bail. Mm, yeah, I, I looked at that and was like, mm, I've done a lot of like, you know, yeah. kind of niche, like, I have a graduate degree in religion, like, let's, let's get like deep into the weeds here in my, in, yeah, I, I thought I'd spare you. <laughs> um, and, and instead, I'm going to talk about Michigan J Frog. Oh my god! <laughs> Yay! Yeah. Hello, um, my darling. Hello, my darling. <laughs> yeah, that that one. So, 
Uh, so yeah, <laughs> let's 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 head into some some Michigan J Frog background information. Um, so he, he's a, he's a Warner Brothers cartoon, of course. Warner, Warner Brothers was founded in 1923 by four brothers: Harry, Albert, Sam, and Jack Warner. Uh, established itself as a leader in the American film industry before diversifying into animation, television, and video games. Um, it's one of the big five major American film studios, which I looked up but decided to leave out of my notes here. So, so that's Warner Brothers, right? And then Warner Brothers had uh, produced Merry Melodies, an animated series of comedy short films starting in 1931 uh, during the golden age of American animation. I'm not really sure when the golden age of American animation start or ended, started or ended. Uh, Merry Melodies was produced through 1969. And then some additional material was produced under the Merry, Merry Melodies title again, starting in the late 1970s, but more kind of intermittent uh, Warner Brothers also produced Looney Tunes starting in 1930. Um, the two st- series were initially very distinct. One was color, one was black and white, one had recurring characters, the other was kind of one-shot animation, you know, shorts. One-shot in this case means like it's, you know, not recurring characters, right? Like like the Pixar shorts, like each one is kind of a self-contained thing. It's not carrying over from one to another. But eventually... Uh, Merry Melodies and Looney Tunes became more similar to each other and um, started being, you know, sort of close to interchangeable. Michigan J. Frog was originally a one-shot character. Uh, his only appearance during the original run of the, of Merry Melodies was as the star of One Froggy Evening, released on December 31, 1955, uh, which was written by Michael Maltese and directed by Chuck Jones who was an American animator, director, and painter who wrote, produced, and or directed many classic shorts, Bugs Bunny, Daffy Duck, Roadrunner, Wiley Coyote. Uh, we've heard of him here. Marvin the Martian, Porky Pig, like all those, all those characters are associated with Chuck Jones and Michael Maltese. So in One Froggy Evening, uh, which is partly inspired by a 1944 Cary Grant film entitled Once Upon a Time, Michigan J. Frog, who is not yet known as Michigan J. Frog, um, is a frog who wears a top hat, carries a cane, sings uh, ragtime, Tin Pan Alley hits, um, and other songs from the late 19th and early 20th century while dancing and performing acrobatics in the style of early 20th century vaudeville. Mm-hmm. Uh, Michigan's talent is discovered by a hapless man who has visions of profiting from it, but catches on too late that the frog will will perform for him and him alone in front of anyone else. Michigan is just a normal frog. Uh, and so the man's dreams of wealth are thwarted. So it was partly inspired by this Cary Grant film where there was like a tap dancing caterpillar in a box, apparently. I don't know. It was a weird time. It says the person who just talked about the whole Shrek franchise. Um, <laughs> there was another inspiration for One Froggy Evening as well. Um, the true story of Old Rip the Horned Toad. Uh, so... On July 29, 1897, a four-year-old boy named Will Wood caught a horny toad in Eastland County, Texas. The boy's father, Ernest E. Wood, decided to use the reptile to test the West Texas tradition that the creatures could survive for many years in hibernation. The toad was placed in a cornerstone of the Eastland County Courthouse in Eastland, Texas, along with other time capsule memorabilia. 30 years later, construction workers began to tear down the old courthouse and town officials scheduled a public event to open the time capsule in mid-February 1928. 
uh, Toad was found in the cornerstone, and it initially appeared dead, uh, but it twitched, and it eventually uh, began to breathe, or was reported to begin to breathe. Uh, so they named it Old Rip after Rip Van Winkle. He lives just up the street from me. Uh, Still? No. <laughs> I always managed to bring it back around to Washington right. Irving. Yeah, so so he was named Old Rip after Rip Van Winkle and um, was sent on a national tour for people to, you know, spectate. And, Look at this frog uh, that isn't dead. Yep. <laughs> How about that? Yep. Uh Scientists questioned whether everything was all on the up and up uh, with this story. Um, Shocking. uh, Yes. Arguing that it would not have been possible for this toad to survive in hibernation for 30 years and that there may have been some chicanery. And the toad that was uh, on the national tour died of pneumonia um, not too long after that. Mm. Yeah. Anyway, so that's that, that's the story of Old Rip the Horned Toad. Um, the, the opening of One Froggy Evening has a construction worker demolishing an old building and finding a time capsule uh, with Michigan J. Frog inside. Uh, voice actors were typically uh, not credited at the time, except for Mel Blanc, whose name you should know, and who had a clause in his contract stipulating that he would have an on-screen credit. So he was credited, but all the other voice actors were generally not. So... Uh, There was no on-screen credit for the voice actor initially, um, but a later DVD release credited Bill Roberts as the original voice of Michigan J. Frog. Hmm. Um, The name Michigan J. Frog is a much later addition to the character, who, as I mentioned, is unnamed in One Froggy Evening. The frog's earliest name actually was Enrico. Hmm. There was some reference to that character in the Bugs Bunny show in 1960, and they just called him Enrico um, and then forgot about it. Uh, and uh, later he was named Michigan J. Frog. Um, his, his name comes from the song The Michigan Rag, which was an original song written by Jones Maltese and uh, musical director Milt Franklin for One Froggy Evening that he sings in the cartoon. Jones stated in um in an inter- in like a an interview on a DVD special that he had come up with the name Michigan Frog and then was inspired to add the J as a middle initial while being interviewed by a writer named Jay Cox. So Michigan J Frog was first referred to as Michigan J Frog in the 1970s in announcements to promote an upcoming episode of the Bugs Bunny show which was going to include one froggy evening with Michigan J Frog. Hmm. Um that's that's when he first started being known by that name. He gained popularity as time went on uh, and uh, crossed over into a whole bunch of other uh, WD, WB uh, Warner Brothers shows. Uh, he appeared in a couple of episodes of Tiny Toon Adventures in 1990. He was voiced by John Hellner there. Had a cameo in Animaniacs in 1996 voiced by Jeff McCarthy, who also voices him in several other shows and like little bits like promos and bumpers. And I don't really know what a bumper is, some TV business thing. Mm -hmm. Um, But, you know, like there's all those like little like in between things on like when you're watching like normal TV, not a streaming service that, you know, have have names in TV business. I'm not really sure which ones are bumpers, but but yeah, uh, Jeff McCarthy voiced Michigan J Frog for Lots of things. Michigan J. Frog made background cameos in Who Framed Roger Rabbit, Space Jam, Looney Tunes Back in Action. Um, He appeared as a talent show MC in the 
Duck Dodgers episode talent show Agogo, made frequent cameos in the Looney Tunes comic books. So crossing media here. Uh, a parody version of Michigan J Frog appeared in Robot Chicken on Adult Swim, uh, voiced by Larry Heron. And um, he's made several appearances in Sylvester and Tweety Mysteries episodes and New Looney Tunes, uh, voiced by Jeff Bergman. In 1995, another Michigan J Frog cartoon was made uh, titled Another Froggy Evening. Uh, with Chuck Jones at the helm and Jeff McCarthy voicing Michigan J. Frog. In that short, Michigan is implied to be immortal with men from the Stone Age, the Roman Empire and colonial era America all determined to profit off of the singing frog who still performs early 20th century tunes, um, <laughs> uh, but failing. Uh, finally, Justice Michigan is about to be eaten by the only man not interested in his singing, a starving man on a deserted island. He is abducted by Marvin the Martian, who discovers the frog understands the Martian language and ends up singing a duet with him as the spaceship flies away. Michigan J. Frog became the official mascot of the WB uh, from its inception in 1995 until 2005. Um, the, her- the network's first night of programming on January 11th, 1995, began with Bugs Bunny and Daffy Duck, wondering which one of them would pull the switch to launch the WB. Uh, the camera then panned over to Chuck Jones drawing Michigan J-Frog on an easel. And when he finished, Michigan leaped from the drawing to formally launch the WB. He lands on Chuck's shoulder and Chuck says, what's up, frog? Um, <laughs> that is how the WB started. Uh, yeah. And Michigan also would uh, appear before the opening of the shows to inform the viewer of the TV rating of the program. Hmm. Some of the more mature things, there would just be an announcement and like there would be like a like a like a logo or like a silhouette of Michigan J Frog rather than like a cartoon frog being like, this was not for kids. Um on July 22, 2005, um, Michigan's death was announced by WB Chairman Garth Ansier. <laughs> At a fall season preview with the terse statement, the frog is dead and buried. <laughs> um, the head of programming for the WB stated that Michigan was a symbol that perpetuated the young teen feel of the network. That's not the image we now want to put out to our audience. Uh-huh. Various okay. humorous obituaries for Michigan J. Frog were published uh, with details of his life and death. His dates were given as December 31, 1955 to July 22, 2005. Although there were vestiges of Mr. Jugan J. Frog still kind of in circulation until the WB ceased broadcasting in 2006. Um, Hmm. And when that happened, the WB um, signed off off the air for the final time on September 17, 2006, with a white silhouette of Michigan appearing at the end of a montage of stars that appeared on the network during its 11-year history. And closed with Michigan's silhouette, removing his top hat and bowing to thank the audience for uh, for 11 years together. Hmm. Yeah. And, uh, you know, Michigan J-Frog has continued in in some pop culture franchises, which I which I mentioned earlier. I kind of gathered together, you know, kind of the the during the WB and the and the later era stuff when we were talking like Tiny Toon Adventures and new Looney Tunes and all those. So, yeah, Michigan J-Frog. Uh, I did not on. expect to learn that today. Mm-hmm. <laughs> now you've learned it. Now I've learned it. Uh-huh. Uh, so are you ready for a quiz? Sure. <laughs> uh, this quiz is um, Michigan J. Frog. Okay. Yeah. Uh, question one. 
The Toledo War was an almost bloodless 1835 conflict between Ohio and Michigan over a disputed piece of land known as the Toledo Strip. The federal government brokered a compromise in which Michigan ceded its claim on the Strip in exchange for statehood and the addition of what piece of land to its boundaries? I mean, if it's Michigan, my guess would be the UP or the upper, yeah, the upper peninsula. Yeah, the upper peninsula is correct. Yeah, there there was a war between Ohio and Michigan. Yeah, over oh, Toledo. Over to yes. Wow. Um, yes, their their respective you know? militias gathered in a place and jeered at each other, and mm-hmm. somebody stabbed a law enforcement officer, which is why it was an almost <laughs> bloodless conflict. Okay. <laughs> yeah, and then and then Michigan Michigan got statehood and the UP. So they, so the government was just like, you can't have Toledo, but you can just have a chunk of Wisconsin. <laughs> yes. Um, <laughs> yeah, I think Wisconsin was not a state yet. I think it was the Michigan Territory, and sure, Michigan yeah. was like in the middle of its application for statehood and had like proposed kind of boundaries that included like a little tiny bit of the the UP, like where it's like kind of closest mm-hmm. to Michigan, and got you know like the boundaries of the of the UP expanded. All right. Nice. Question two. J is for Judgment is the 10th in a series of books by what author? She died in 2017 of Cancer of the Appendix. Uh, you know, I've never actually read any of her books. I know it's Sue and I think it's Grafton. It is Grafton. Nice. Okay. Yeah. I also haven't read any of her books and I feel like probably I should. Yeah. She, I mean, it's, it's sad, you know, deaths are always sad. Um, She had, she had published Y is for yesterday uh, when she got sick and she planned to write Z is for zero, but uh, died before writing it. Um, And her family has said they are never going to hire a ghostwriter. Uh, They, I think we we might have heard this in a final Jeopardy clue at some point. Um, yeah. They said, as far as we and the family are concerned, the alphabet now ends at Y. Mm-hmm. Um, I do recall that. Yeah. Yeah. All right. You're at 20 points. Question three. The largest frog in the world can weigh up to 7.2 pounds and is native to Cameroon and Equatorial Guinea. It is named after what biblical figure? Like that character, it probably would be possible to kill the frog with some river stones. Oh, okay. Well, that would be Goliath, I would it think. It is. Yeah, it's the Goliath frog. Seven pounds is a lot of frog. That's a that's a whole bunch of frog. It's a whole bunch. It's like a, <laughs> a, a, a moderately large baby's worth of frog. <laughs> right. That's, that's way more frog than I want to meet. Yeah. Uh, question four. Michigan's state flower is the apple blossom. Its state fish is the brook trout, and its state fossil is the mastodon. What is the official state bird, which is widely considered a sign of spring, likely because its migratory pattern follows the 37-degree isotherm? State bird of Michigan. Mm-hmm. You know, I used to have all of these memorized. I, I put in sign of spring because I assumed that we didn't memorize state birds here, but... If you if you know it on Michigan State Bird, more power to you. No, when I was a kid, I like we had this. Yeah, like all the state facts. At, mm-hmm, we had mm-hmm. this atlas, and whenever we would go on road trips, we'd just like flip through, and it had all the like the fifty states, and it had their mm-hmm. 
flag and their state tree and their state bird. And so I just, I used to have all of these memorized. Um, Mm -hmm. Sign of spring makes me think of Robin. Cardinals are also very common, especially in the Midwest. But I don't know that the Michigan, that Michigan is the, I don't know. I'm going to go with the Robin. The Robin is correct. Yes. Um, it, it occurred to me belatedly that I should may, that I maybe I should put in like a like a proviso that it's not J, even though it would be very clever if it was like a Michigan J. Oh, oh yeah. You know? <laughs> I did not even think of that yeah. possibility. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's, it's the Robin. There's they are signs of string because they they uh, like to be about as far north as it's 37 degrees. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah. So uh, so they just follow that down and then they follow it back up. The official state soil of Michigan is Kalkaska sand, and there is no official state drink, uh, but I came across several references to Werner's uh, ginger ale as the unofficial state drink of Michigan. Okay. It it can't be the official unofficial state drink, though. So I also Mm. came across somebody claiming some particular cocktail recipe. I don't know. I feel like I've encountered Werner's as a Michigan thing a lot. All right. Uh, hey, you're at 40 points. Nice job. Yay. Question five. Sometimes called the queen of hip hop soul, what artist shares a middle initial with Michigan J Frog? <laughs> She's won nine Grammy Awards and was the first person nominated for Academy Awards for acting and songwriting in the same year in recognition of her work on Mudbound. Uh, <laughs> Mary J. Blige. Yes. <laughs> That's <laughs> that is correct. <laughs> <laughs> that's a good one i i came across while i was looking for middle initial j stuff i came across a thing about um uh why so many uh cartoon characters have the middle initial j mm-hmm. um a lot of a, a lot of speculation about it but likely um likely some of them are uh a tribute to uh j ward of Rocky and Bullwinkle, Dudley Do Right, Peabody and Sherman, mm. like all those. Rocky and Bullwinkle, they're both of them have J as their middle initial. A whole bunch of the okay. Simpsons do too, and I don't know, don't know what's up with that. Well, Homer's a... middle name is J. <laughs> yes. Um. All right. Well, hey, fifty points, and the final category is infamous frogs. Infamous frogs. I don't even know uh, what that would mean. But I feel like I'm on a roll, so I'm going to go with all 50. Yeah, I think that's the right call here. All right, so for 100 points, there are several beloved frog characters uh, in popular culture, from Arnold LaBelle's frog to Kermit to Michigan J. Frog. There's only one frog who is on the Anti-Defamation League's list of hate symbols. What is the name of the internet meme frog who has been appropriated by the alt-right and used as a symbol for white nationalism? To everyone's great surprise, I'm sure the frog also has a following among cryptocurrency enthusiasts. What? I'll get into it in a second. Yeah. Uh, If I recall, that is Pepe. Yes, that is. That is Pepe the frog who has a a following among cryptocurrency enthusiasts because like there's there are these like. I guess rare Pepe NFTs. I don't know. Yeah. Uh, Just. Yeah. (laughs) Moving on. Yep. 
onward we go. <laughs> um, uh, Pepe comes from the, the comic Boys Club uh, by Matt Fury. Um, I don't know anything about Boys Club, but Matt Fury has expressed dismay at the way that uh, Pepe's image is being used out there on the internet. Um, he is quoted in Esquire as saying, it sucks, but I can't control it more than anyone can control frogs on the internet. So, <laughs> which <laughs> like, point. fair enough. Yep. <laughs> um, yeah. So, hey, a hundred points. Woo, on the strength nice of the frogs. job. I was feeling froggy tonight. <laughs> yeah, I think, I think, I mean, my, judging by my voice, I am also feeling froggy. Um, so. <laughs> that was a delightful surprise. <laughs> I'm glad you enjoyed it. I, I enjoyed preparing it and um, hopefully the listeners enjoyed it as well. Uh, listeners, thank you for spending your time with us. Make sure to subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. Leave a rating or review to help us out with the algorithm, if you would. If you want to check out our Patreon, it's patreon.com slash potentpotables. And if you have friends who are into Jeopardy, let them know about our podcast. You can all find us on Facebook at Potent Potables, on Twitter at Potent Potables 1. Our email address is potentpotablescast at gmail.com, and our website is potentpod.com. And we will be back next week with another week of Jeopardy. So until then, may your minds be quick and your buzzers be quicker.